Fantastic Noise. Fantastic Noise. Fantastic Noise. Fantastic Noise. Fantastic Noise, a podcast about making radio from the University of Bedfordshire. Hello, I'm Terry Lee. This is Fantastic Noise. Big thanks for your time and for your ears. Sports broadcasting is a huge industry. There is hours and hours of sports radio coverage across UK radio every week. TalkSport, the commercial radio station dedicated to sport in the country as nearly 3 million listeners a week. Sports-based podcasts are hugely popular in the iTunes podcast chart. In the UK, over 4 million people regularly play organised sport. Sports radio and audio is a big deal. In this episode, we're going to take a look at it. Joining me in the studio is Jack, a recent broadcast journalism graduate at the university. Jack, you're a fan of sport and you're a fan of radio. So why do you think so many people tune into sport-based audio? You know what, I think, you know, where you're saying three million listeners are on TalkSport and that that's just a segment of such a massive audience that I think people just love sport so much and want to either be informed or feel like they're informed and be able to pretend that they're informed when they go and have a chat about it i I always feel it's like um i don't know if you've seen the episode of the it crowd when they're like did you watch the game yesterday oh yeah yeah because everyone feels like you have to have an opinion about the big sporting events that are going on because it's become such a huge part of pop culture that Mm. everyone feels like they kind of need to know a little bit about what's going on so the best way to do that is to listen to someone else tell you what's going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like a digestible way of getting yeah. information. Fantastic. Coming up in today's podcast, we're going to hear from Luke Moore, most well-known for being a part of the podcast mega-hit The Football Ramble, but also owner of Radio Stakhanov, an independent podcast studio. Laura Woods from TalkSport and Sky Sports tells us about her life as a sports broadcaster. And Jeff Doyle, the sports editor for BBC Three Counties Radio, talks about his job. Later, as always, we shall be analysing some radio jargon with the Radio Word of the Week and making our weekly visit to Dr Laurie Hallett's radio surgery. But first, courage is what it takes to stand up and speak. Courage is also what it takes to sit down and listen. Not my words, but the words of Winston Churchill, Jack. (laughs) Let's find out what some of you have been listening to recently. What are you listening to? Hello, my name's Matt. I'm based out in New York. At the moment, I enjoy listening to all football stuff. Guardian Football Weekly, the Football Ramble, uh, football mixed with stupid stuff, which is Afloco Mints with Bob Mortimer. I like listening to Desert Island Disc podcast to take me home when I need to and for a little bit of New York flavour I listen to the Bodega Boys. Hello my name's Belle and I'm 44 and I'm from Norfolk. I've mainly been listening to some podcasts while I've been decorating. I've been listening mainly to dramas or plays so I can get really engrossed and to take my mind off stripping paint off very old door frames and sanding. It's lovely a way to be able to just immerse yourself into the podcast and just really be able to listen to it, which I've been enjoying, because most of the time listening to the radio with a small boy running around, I can never really listen to it. I'm Brian. I'm from South London. I am subscribed to far too many podcasts, but one that I must catch every week 
is Ellis James and John Robbins on Radio X, which, following in the footsteps of guys like Adam and Joe, is a weekly dose of warm-hearted comedy and silliness guaranteed to make you laugh. And on a similar tip, another of my favourites is Quickly Kevin Will He Score, the 90s football show, which is fronted by Josh Widdicombe and Chris Skull. And if, like me, you're a football nerd who loves the 90s, it will tick every box for you. Please do contact us and tell us about something you've been enjoying listening to. I'd love to include your voice in a future episode. Fantasticnoise at beds.ac.uk Jack, we heard from three different listeners there. Matt, who likes football and Desert Highland Discs. Uh, Belle, who listens to plays whilst stripping paint. And Brian, who listens to Ellis James and John Robbins on Radio X. But what are you enjoying listening to at the moment? I'm mainly a music guy, so I tend to listen to music. But if, if I'm not, um, it's podcasts for me rather than radio. I think I'm a bit of a control freak, so I like to choose what I'm listening to rather mm. than getting random things on the radio. So if I pick out just a couple of things that I've been listening to lately, uh, my favourite podcast uh, is one called We Hate Movies, and it's uh, for fat guys from America. Um, and they say it themselves, so it's fine. But fine. They, um, they just take a bad film and rip it apart for an hour, an hour and a half, and it is one of the funniest things um, you're likely to hear. And the other one, um, including it in the sports theme today, uh, I listened to the Inside Ellen Road podcast uh. Uh, by the chief Yorkshire Evening Post uh, writer, Phil Hay. So for our less informed listeners, yes. why, why is that podcast significant? What What is it about? So it is about all the comings and goings and happenings at Leeds United Football Club, which... Uh, for all of my sins is my football club that's that's the main one I listen to for my knowledge of everything that happens at Leeds uh, all the guys on there are extremely um, well versed in their knowledge they know what's going on they work you know with the club so they know what's going on and that that's one of my favorite ones to listen to one of the most insightful ones I always share at least one thing I'm listening to as well and this time I'm going to bring up a podcast made by a huge US podcast producer Gimlet who are based in Brooklyn in New York uh, the podcast I've been listening to recently is called Story Pirates and uh, <laughs> it's aimed at children my five-year-old daughter Primrose loves it um, what they do is encourage children to send their stories in and then they reenact the stories in a creative loud way Primrose and I recently listened to a story called Fart Out Loud Day which the story pirates then turned into a song and I have to admit it did make me chuckle because poo jokes are funny Jack Yes. And do you ever listen to audio for kids? No I can't say that I do. One for the future maybe Maybe, Jack. I mean I would listen to it with my niece. I'm sure, I'm sure audio for, for children will evolve even more than it has done and there'll be plenty for, for, for a time in your life when maybe that's a thing that happens. You yeah, know. maybe. <laughs> Back to the focus of this episode, sport. Luke Moore is one of the four members of the Football Ramble team that produced two podcasts a week during the football season. Last year, he and fellow Rambler Pete Donaldson set up Radio Stakhanov, an independent podcast maker. He is passionate about sport and the radio and podcast world generally. He invited me along to the Football Ramble studio to have a chat. Before we hear from Luke, here's a very short clip from the Football Ramble podcast. Welcome back, everybody. Say welcome back as if we've been sat here since Thursday. 
Yeah. Some of us have more. Uh, well, after every um, show, we take a tablet and we just fall asleep for three days. <laughs> yeah. That's why we're wasting away. We wake up looking like Joe Zimrini. All I will say is, I when I got here earlier today. Pete was already here yeah. and yeah. had taken delivery of two boxes of noodles. Mm. So yeah. draw whatever conclusions you want out of that. Luke, millions of people love listening to sport and, and to people talking about sports. I mean, I'll be happy driving for hours if there's a good you know, programme on the radio about football. So why do you think sport on the radio and podcasting platforms are so popular? First of all, I think because people like sport and because people like football in my case, although I do do some other shows as well. Uh, and secondly, because I think it's a medium that lends itself to discussion and to uh, opinions. No one is ever short of an opinion on on sport. And so the two marry up pretty well. And they have done traditionally for generations now. I mean, not, not to say that other things don't, but I think it's a good safe space really for people to get excited and interested and animated about things that in the grand scheme of things aren't that important but are important enough for people to feel passionate about and i think it's it can operate as a safe space for a lot of people i think it's it's interesting you mentioned the idea of discussion and then obviously that's essentially the the football ramble Mm. um program that you create i guess sport allows itself to be discussed and i guess the number of football pundits there are um is, is a testament to that whereas whereas in news those big news stories sometimes that discussion uh you, you have to be careful with what you say when you're covering sensitive stories but sport there's always talking points and people want to hear the different opinions and views yeah i mean there are sensitive issues around sports well of course that you can't necessarily comment on or you don't feel like it's appropriate to do so it's what it's what makes the world go around really i mean there's always going to be discussion around something that's so popular and 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 people who perhaps can't play the game for a living or even play the game for fun, like to imagine what it must be like to play it or like to have an opinion on the people that do play it. Ultimately, really, I mean, if you want to talk about our show specifically, our show specifically, it's just about having fun. Like, it's an entertainment show about football. We always make that distinction. It's not it's not really a football show. It's an entertainment show about football, which I think is will probably mean nothing to anyone who doesn't take himself as seriously as I do myself, clearly. But to us, it's important because it means that you don't want to get into the weeds. You don't want to take things too seriously. You don't want to probably bore people is the wrong way of putting it, but you don't want to get too bogged down. You want to keep things light. Mm. Mm. Let's talk about that because you started the Football Ramble in 2007. Uh, You've gone from 20-odd listeners for episode one, I read, to uh, recording, that was recorded in your kitchen, to to millions of downloads of, of your audio each year uh, is the quality of the content you were producing back then in comparison to now acutely different yeah I, I'd, I'd hope so it's probably for other people to say that definitively but i would hope so yeah I, th- I think we came from a position i mean just from a technical point of view if we're talking about you know what it means to actually make radio programs because mm. you know, i mean we were recording a lot of audio then i mean a lot of audio three hours maybe for, for a 45 minute to an hour show so it's it's not a very great it's not very high yield mm. whereas now we record pretty much every show as live yeah so the quality of how lithe we are as broadcasters and how experienced we are and how much easier we find it to make the show that's definitely improved in terms of the quality i personally think it has improved greatly since then um but there will be people who listened five years ago who liked it and don't like it now i'm sure but i mean I can only answer that question as best I can. And that is, that yes, I, yes, I do think it's a lot better. And I think that the fact that 
Pete and I are professional broadcasters and appear on national radio regularly would, would hopefully be a testament to that. So what do you think you have learnt about broadcasting? What has, and what has developed in, in the programmes you've created? That's a good question. I think one of the things that's really important about making radio shows and making podcasts is to always remember there is a listener out there. Mm. So it's very easy when you're sat in a studio between three or four of you or even just one or two of you and almost see the listener or, or, or think of the listener as like this abstract thing. Because if you're not careful, listeners can just become numbers on the screen and you can be happy that you've got more of them than someone else or, or more than you had the week before. But ultimately, listeners are, are human beings and you want to make sure you can, wherever possible, keep them at the center of what you're doing and i don't think i had an understanding of that when i first started because you know why would i i was i wasn't really making a sort of grand plan so we were just doing what we were doing ultimately that's what you've got to do and, and that's why i will accept any um criticism of the shows i make but by all means no problem with that but the criticism that we would be self-indulgent or or that we wouldn't or we're getting you know up ourselves to use like a british term or all that sort of stuff that British people get very head up about, I reject that because we always think of the listener when we make stuff. We always think about it carefully, not just at the end of each season when we try and revamp whatever we need to revamp and find out what we're happy with and what we're not. We reset ourselves and we and we we work hard at the show all the time to make sure that hopefully it's something that the listeners like. That's something that I think is really important. If you keep the listener at the centre of everything you do, you should be okay. No, I'm not saying we always succeed in that. I'm saying we 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 try to do that. That's what we aim for. Mm. Yeah, but, and I guess that's that's a really good point because when you're having a discussion with four four guys in a room chatting about issues to do with football, and yet you're also talking to a listener uh, at the same time, or at least being aware that this is for some other people to enjoy listening to, and mm. you can sometimes get carried away in conversations, presumably. Yeah, it's a funny situation in a way because we're not really presenting something to them it's not we're not reading the news down the camera or down a microphone on radio 4 or whatever we're essentially inviting people to be a part of a conversation and we want that conversation to not be exclusive and not be esoteric and not be um not have barriers put around it we want people to join in now there are always going to be people who don't want to be a part of that who will listen in and say oh it's just four blokes laughing at their own jokes and what, what what's to like about that and that's cool I, i've got no problem with that all I would say in response to that is we're not making that show for you. We're making a show for people who do want to be a part of it and do like to enjoy it and like to have a laugh along with us. And if they want to get involved, send us an email or a tweet or, or whatever. Um, and so to, to that end, it, it's, it's even more important to try and think of the listener because you're trying to make it a story. If you're telling a story to three people in a room, you're not actually. You're telling it to loads of people and you want them to hear it and be involved in it and relate to it as well. And, and again, I can't stress this enough. You don't always succeed in that. You're just trying to do that. Mm. You don't always make a ma- an amazing show. You don't always achieve what you set out to do. But that's that's the idea of, of, of what we're trying to do. In the Football Ramble, you, you often talk about a running order. Mm-hmm. And and I guess that's how you decide what, what what's coming up and what, what's planned to be spoken about on the programme. How important is something like a running order for the programme? Well, I think... Mm. To, to think about that in a radio context, you know, it's really important for a radio show, as, as you know, Terry. I mean, you have to hit time parts, you have to hit news breaks, you have to hit ad breaks, all that kind of stuff. You have to hit the top of the hour. When we talk about running order for the ramble, we're not talking about that. We're talking about almost like a a loose framework, some touch points to make sure that we, we stay on 
I suppose we're almost off, always on the bit, off the beaten track anyway, but we're staying on the journey we want to be on, if you know what I mean. That you need a running order as a focal point. So when you go into this, all this tangential stuff, which for me is the meat on the bones that makes an engaging show, you're always coming back to a central point. People always feel like, navigated through that. So it's more just a case of having a selection of events you want to talk about, having regular features in the part of the show that people are used to hearing them in. So we have emails just before an ad break or something, or we have a game at the end or whatever it may be. It's just a way of sort of, I don't want it to sound too grandiose, but just a way of navigating yourself through the, the 45 minutes or the hour or whatever it is. It's not, it's not as stringent as what a live national radio show would be like. Mm, mm. And, and, and that's an important thing, I guess, as well. Your listeners know if they're regular listeners, that they can expect, for example, emails to come up or, yeah. for example, last season, they might have been tuning in for going for gold or yeah. whatever. They know that's coming up. Yeah. Uh, and whatever you're producing, sometimes it's important as well to come up with that familiarity. For, for familiarity listeners. is a massively important thing. So when I talked earlier about the idea that keeping the listener in the centre of what you're doing, now I understand that can be quite abstract as a concept. And all it really means is just being inclusive and trying to produce relatable stuff. But... A really easy way and a really important way to build a show is to, with this familiarity, it's just to be there. It's just to make sure whenever you say you're going to put a show out, you're going to put one out. You're not bound to radio scheduling when you do podcasting. But one of the things that I say that people are surprised about is that the Football Ramble has been going for 11 years and it's never missed a scheduled show ever. Mm. So there will be situations where it will be the summer and there'll be no football and we'll take a break or one of us will miss it to go on holiday but if we've said we're going to do a show, we always do a show. We've never missed one. And that is a huge part. Possibly, I mean, you never better find out this, if this is a fact or not, but it's possibly the most important thing of the entire operation is the reliability of it. Yeah, yeah. And I, I guess in, in that way, it helps having four members of the team as well. So mm. you can cover if, if one person's sure. away. So the show still works as a three. Yeah. Um, it's a good show with the three, I think. It's my opinion, but I, I think it is. Um, but obviously our, our bread and butter is the four of us. Off the, the back of the success of, of the Football Ramble, you've set up Radio Stakhanov and you are involved in the production now of a number of popular podcast titles, not just sports ones either. Can you tell us a little bit more about why and how you set up the business? Sure. As for the why, the Football Ramble is by some decent measures like a successful show, so it comes that comes with it um, responsibility and... and you know, you, obviously, we we now in a position where we do it professionally and we get paid to do it. But what it, and we're very grateful for that. But what it brings with it as well is a set of parameters and boundaries that you can and can't do. So, we had to look outside of those parameters to to to, to perhaps scratch some creative itches elsewhere that we wanted to create, um, or that we wanted to scratch, should I say? And the result of that was Radio Stakano, which is owned by Pete and I and our colleague John, who who runs the Ramble outside of these four studio walls basically mm. um, it gave us an opportunity to pursue other interests to work with other producers other talent because there's only so much you can do when you're doing i'm doing four or five shows a week every week so it's probably unrealistic for me to be on other shows or for me to spearhead other shows but if it's an idea that i like or a um a, a producer and presenter i want to work with we have the resources here to make it happen. We can push it forward. We can use our experience. And in a way, it's just a case of, of wanting to make other types of shows. I mean, I'm not just interested in football. I like radio generally. I come from a radio background, not a football background. So that's important to remember. And as a result, we've been able to make some other shows that we're really proud of. And the one I've made or helped to make, I should say, 
that I'm most proud of is probably Berkhamsted Revisited, which is this Teenage Diary podcast that I would implore people to check out because it's really funny. And we worked on that together. The two Laura's who produce and present it, I help out. And as a team, um, we've made a great show. And I would never be able to do that within the Ramble parameters. So it just gives you a chance to you know, broaden your horizons, do something a bit different. Um, it's no different in that respect to in any job where if you've been doing the same job for seven or eight years, uh, lots of people would be fine with that. But some people like to do something a bit different. And I'm, I'm one of those people, I suppose. Branching out, I suppose, um, you've also covered uh, topics such as European football, uh, wrestling, an, in, an interesting range that, that people wouldn't necessarily have associated the football ramble guys with, with creating initially. Yeah. Do you think that podcasting generally is, is a, a platform which is still growing, still has capacity to grow? I wouldn't be an expert in the industry generally. I do take an interest in it and I have uh, opinions on it, but I'm not an expert in it. But... <laughs> In a way, podcasting really needs to be treated the same way you would treat radio or TV or, or whatever it may be because it's a medium, right? So it's it's essentially going to be as successful as the people working within it and the shows they make. The same way everyone's got a TV. In, in the developed world, at least, everyone's pretty much got a mobile phone. So the access to, to, you know, as some sort of marketing people would probably say, the path to market it already exists. So um, I think we're only starting to see the potential of it as a medium over the last year or so, actually. And if you look at what's happening in the US, they're five, six, seven years ahead of us in terms of their development. Um, you've got big production companies there. Big, I mean, talking about Radio Stakhanov, I mean, Radio Stakhanov is basically the three of us and whatever producers we're working with and one or two others. Like, if you think of someone like Gimlet, a big production company in the US, I think they've got like over 100 staff. So it's a big uh, amount of, of, of real estate to go in terms of where it can go. And I think um, it's exciting. But the most important thing is, obviously, you've got to make good programs. I mean... A production company is it should should be judged on the programs it makes, and if you're not making good programs, I mean it's not there's not going to be much potential for you out there, whatever the medium is. So it's in many ways the principle is the same whatever you're doing. It's like if, if you if you've got a record label, you're only going to do as well as the bands you sign or the artists you've got working with you. So it's exactly the same principle. How do you measure success then, as radio stakan off? Like in terms of let's say you you release um, you start publishing a new podcast series. How do you know if it's something you want to continue with? If it didn't hit a certain number of downloads, would that be an issue? Or or is it about how it sounds and how it feels? How do you make um, those decisions? I think it depends on the project. I think if if you brought Barack Obama in here and said, let's make a podcast with Barack Obama, I'd be disappointed if it didn't do numbers. <laughs> you know, And that would be a measure I would be judging it on. Mm. Now, for Berkhamsted Revisited, we love the project. It's an exciting idea. It works. The guys who do it are great. But they're coming from a standing start. No one knows who they are. Mm. No one ever knew who they were before they started. And they've only been going since March. So you have to judge it on its merits. You know, I can't expect that to come in from a standing start of a new idea that we're trying to get across to people and that we're trying to um, sort of get exposure to in a really crowded marketplace, which is what podcasting is now, and expect it to do football round one number straight away. It won't do that. We have to make sure we make the best show we can. And then we use our experience and our skills to try and expose it to a wider audience. And you have to judge it on its merits. The good thing about it is we've got a solid foundation here. We've got our own studio. We've got our time. We believe in it. So it's, it doesn't really cost us anything beyond the, the sundries side of things where you have to set things up and, and put a bit of time into it. It's not, it's not a huge financial outlay. So the flexibility is, is quite, it's quite big, really. You can be heard on TalkSport 
sometimes as well, Luke. Not um, often enough, Terry, in my opinion. <laughs> well, when you started the football ramble, or even when you started, say, student radio, was broadcasting on a national sports radio station the dream? I don't really feel like someone who was that switched on or swept up when I was a kid. So if I, when I was university age, I was much more of the inclination that if I like doing it, I would just want to do it. And of course, you, there are boundaries to that. You can't just go and do whatever you want, whenever you want. I had to have a job and I had to study and all that kind of stuff. But I enjoyed talking about football with my friends. I enjoyed talking about music with my friends. I enjoyed generally just talking. I'll sometimes half-jokingly say that talking is really the only thing I've ever been good at. But the reason I half-jokingly say it is because my wife would probably disagree with that anyway <laughs> and say that I'm not actually that good at that. I think it's very easy to attribute to sort of backfill a narrative and go, oh, yeah, well, of course, this is my dream and of course, this is what I thought I would end up doing and I hoped that I would. But ultimately, in my experience, life doesn't really work like that without without trying to get too philosophical. It's like, it's, a, it's about stages, right? And every stage you get to, you make a different decision. A band who plays at Wembley Stadium doesn't just turn up at Wembley Stadium. Obviously, to us, it looks like they have just turned up and are playing there, but there's been a process involved, right? Mm. So to me, it wasn't a case of, I'm now at this point here, point A, I'm doing nothing, and point B, I'm now, in quotes, living my dream on the radio. There's been a lot of stuff that's gone on in between there, and I've made a lot of mistakes. I I was given breaks on the radio before, and I didn't do very well, Mm. and it took me a while to learn from that and build from that. So I'd be reluctant to, like I say, backfill that narrative about living the dream and all that kind of stuff. I like doing it and I think I'm good at it. And luckily some producers also think that. Mm. And, and until that until that sort of stops being the case, hopefully I'll still do it. But you know what it's like as well as I do. It can be fickle and, and you don't know how long you're going to be around for. So that's why podcasting is so good, by the way. I think the most important answer to that question is that podcasting worked for me because there was no path to doing what I wanted to do. Yeah. Now, I knew I wanted to work in radio. I didn't know if I wanted to be on the mic or behind the scenes or what. But ultimately... For a kid with no background in it and with no contacts in it, and you know, I don't want to sound like sort of you know, Uncle Albert from Only Falls and Horses, but I moved to London with, with no job and nothing really, no contacts, and I had to just try and see what I could do. And I ended up working at Capital Radio on the sales floor, which I didn't like at the time, but it gave me a great insight into what a radio station is actually like. Mm. Podcasting came along, and it was great because there were no preconceived notions about what I should, in quotes, or shouldn't be doing. It was just do what you feel. And if people like it, that's all that matters really. Because there's, there are all these, as you know, all these rules about radio that you have to do. Like you have to have a certain voice and you have to say things at a certain way and you have to do things at a certain time. I've not got a traditional radio broadcasting voice at all. And podcasting means that I'm not held back by that. Mm. That I can actually flip it on its head. And people can say, oh yeah, but he doesn't sound like a guy who would talk about sports on the radio. But I can say, well... Loads of people think I'm all right, so give me a give me a chance to show you. Um, and it's great because you don't have to have like a received pronunciation BBC accent to do what you want to do. And I think that's really important for people, by the way. And the reason I mention it is because there will be hundreds of people out there who want to work in radio who feel, oh, yeah, you know, I could never talk in that way or I can never be like that or I can never go through local radio, which never really worked for me. I had no interest in local radio, which was the traditional path to national radio. Mm. So I thought like it was over before it even started. But podcasting has meant that it's not. What was your degree, by the way? I did an HND, actually. Okay. In media production and business. Oh, oh wow. Okay. Yeah, so well, that's, kind of, of, well, that's kind of related then. Yeah, You've done of, quite well. Yeah, a bit of radio in there. And um, t- to be honest, Terry, I, I, I didn't do very well at school. And so Farnborough College of Technology took me after a deferment year. I went for an interview there and told them that I was really passionate about 
radio and music and TV, which I, which I was and am. Um, I didn't tell them it was mostly watching TV and listening to radio <laughs> and, and, and playing CDs in my, car, in my car. And they they were cool with it. They let me go come along. And I wasn't able to do the degree because my A-levels weren't good enough. So I did an HND. But it meant I was there for two years and not three. Luckily, at the time, I don't know if it still is, but Farnborough College was, was good for... It had all the resources. It, had, it, it was... It was the cl- a lot of the classes were taken by people who were working in the industry. So some of the things that were great were like, I had a guy teaching me radio production who called Mark O'Donnell, who at the same time was producing Danny Baker on Radio London. Mm. So he was like at the coalface. He was doing it. It wasn't like a 70-year-old professor who said, oh, back in my day, we used to cut reel-to-reel tape like this. It was like, it was actually happening. And that was really exciting. And that was a real um, sort of um, catalyst for me as well. Are there other football or sports radio broadcasts that, that have inspired you or who you really love listening to? But like I, for example, throwing some out there, think that Mike Costello is a brilliant listener with his athletics and his boxing. Yeah. I'm a big boxing fan. Same, Mike yeah. Costello is like the, the dude. I think Mike Costello is probably, probably the be- I'd say he's probably the best sports broadcaster on the BBC. Mm. I'd agree with that. I think he's amazing. And I think if he wasn't doing, and obviously boxing is having a real resurgence at the moment, but it is still ultimately a minority sport, I would say, despite how popular it is, relatively speaking now. And if he were doing a bigger sport, he would be a household name for sure. I think he's brilliant. I couldn't agree with him more. I grew up listening to Danny Baker mm. and, and Danny Kelly. And those, I'm obviously, I'm lucky enough to, well, fortunate enough, I suppose, to work with Danny every Friday now. Danny Kelly, that is. Danny Kelly, I'll talk about because I know him a bit better because I've worked with it. I work with him. He is an unbelievable broadcaster. He, uh, one of the things you have to think about is when you do podcasting, it's not it's not live. So uh, I know you know this, but for the for the benefit of, of, of people listening, I suppose. So you've got all the flexibility you want. If you want to stop and do something again, you can. If you want to change something, you want to do a pickup and put it in, you can do that, obviously, with editing and stuff. When you do live radio, it's a lot different because you have to be, you have to be lithe. You have to be quick of mind if you can. And Danny, I've never seen him phase. All the time I've worked with him, I've never once seen him phase. He's always got something to say. He's always got a story. He's always got a great turn of phrase. And it's amazing. It's amazing. And so he's a fantastic guy to work with. Uh, I love working with him. Um, but in terms of growing up, Danny Baker, I used to love 606. So my memories would be driving back with my uncle from Fratton Park, listening to 606. Uh, that would be a big thing. That was obviously, I think Danny Baker might have even created 606. Yeah, he's yeah, the so, first presenter. Yeah, so that I remember, I sort of vaguely remember that, I think, although it might have been a bit before my time, but I remember the programme. The obvious people, really, I think um, I think Costello's fantastic. I quite like um, Costello and Bunce. They're a good combination on the, on Five Live because Bunce is so different to Costello. Yeah, exactly. So Bunce would be similar to me, like quite brash and quite, I suppose, quite fast talking, um, but maybe a, a bit over the top for many people's tastes. <laughs> um, but him working with Mike is is, is brilliant. In terms of the stuff I listen to, I don't. To be to be honest, I don't actually listen to a lot of football-specific media. I listen to lots of other podcasts. And I listen to radio, but I wouldn't say I'm a big um, consumer of of other football media beyond the games themselves. Because I think that you can get yourself in a bit of chicken and egg situation about your opinions and about what you've seen and what you haven't seen and what you think, and it can be dangerous. I think. Mm, well, well, on the just last question on that subject. Are there any other things that you're listening to at the moment that you would recommend? And it could be about anything anything at all. Sure, I'll check on my phone. Yeah. My memory's terrible. I'll have a little reminder. Every, like, you're not the first person to check their okay, phone right. to decide. To tell um, well, first of all, um, Caliphate. Yep. Have you heard of that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's brilliant. Do people know what that's about? Or shall I tell them? No, tell, tell. Um, it's about, um, it's a New York Times journalist who goes back to um, uh, Iraq and Syria and stuff. And, and, and actually she finds an ex-ISIS operative in Canada as well 
and she tries to get to the bottom of what ISIS want, what they're all about, how it works. It's absolutely fascinating. And it's done all out in the field. So it's um it's not studio based, so it's really you feel like you're really there. It's beautifully produced, it's beautifully recorded. I think it uses binaural recording, so you feel like you're right in the middle of it. So it's in stereo and all that kind of stuff. I think that's fantastic. Um, what you know what I tend to do, Terry, is I, I I dip into stuff. So I'll listen to podcasting when I podcast when I'm running quite a bit. I'll just I'll scroll through and just say, Oh, that looks quite good. I'll give that a go. And and I'll I'll either stick with it or I won't. Now that's in addition to the classic shows that I think are some of the best radio shows ever, like Desert Island Disc, I mm. listen to a lot. It's probably the greatest format for a radio show ever. It's classic. I listened to, I don't want to give them too much of a shout out, but I listened to Five Live Daily every day during the World Cup because they're there and they've got good factual stuff. Yeah. Pod Save America I like. Pod Save the World I quite like. I listened to a show recently called Edgelands. It's about a guy who's going across the border of Russia and all the different countries it borders with. Oh wow, I've not, I've not, I've yeah. not heard that. That's the Daily Telegraph. That sounds like an excellent. It's not actually project. that good. Oh really? <laughs> I like the idea though, but that's just me saying that. It's only my opinion. I'm sure they work very hard at it, um, and I'm not patronising them or, or, or judging them. I'm just saying for me, I, I thought maybe because this is the problem, I would probably have done it slightly differently. But there you go. Mm. But there's loads of stuff. I, I like Desert Island Disc. I like uh, In Our Time as well. Do you ever listen to that? No, no. Which is a Radio Four show presented by Melvin Bragg. And he gets like, it's a round table show and it can be any subject any every week. And I listen to the podcast. I think it comes out on a, maybe on a Friday on Radio 4, but I listen to it on a podcast. Whatever the subject will be, so anything you can think of. So one week it will be the moon and it will have the eminent scholar about the moon from Cambridge University there and he'll have an astrophysicist there and he'll have someone here and he'll, and he'll, he'll chair it and talk about it from start to finish. And then the following week it could be Pythagoras' theorem or something and the following week it will be you know the Peter Lou massacre or something like it could be anything and he gets the relevant experts for each subject and just talks about it it's brilliant Luke Moore there from the Football Ramble and Radio Stakhanov he was very generous with his time and struck me as a huge fan of radio he spoke about the importance of being inclusive of your listeners as someone who studied broadcast journalism Jack is that something that you're mindful of when you make your own radio programs yeah absolutely I mean I think he said it's it's probably if not the one it probably is the most important thing to keep in mind and I, I totally agree I know that when I've done radio before doing my shows that I would sometimes think you know I'm not really feeling it tonight or I've got other stuff going on when you're in here, when you're in the studio, it's it's not really about what you're feeling. It's about the audience, and you have to keep them in mind um, because there are going to be some people that are listening to you for the first time, so you've got to try and bring your A game every single time. And the best way to do that is by imagining that there is somebody listening for the very first time, and, and they need to know what it is that you're doing and what it is that you can bring with your show. It's interesting listening to Luke because... He is most well-known for the football ramble, but he does appear quite frequently on TalkSport. And so his pathway to radio was through podcasting, which you know he was setting up himself and first recorded in, in his kitchen. He talks about how he's not your standard radio voice, and, and, and certainly not your standard radio voice to talk about sport, I guess. Did that resonate with you in terms of thinking about your your future and if you get more into the broadcasting world, Jack? Is that is it important to you that you don't have to sound like a, a plummy person anymore to get on the radio? Well, yeah, because I'd never get anywhere because <laughs> I sound very, like, kind of droney a lot of the time. <laughs> um, yeah, I think 
you know, the more years that go on, the more the industry changes, you're going to get that more and more because there's going to be so many people trying to kind of funnel themselves into this very, very limited spot that everyone's going to bring something different. That There are going to be more unique ways of of getting into the industry like you say making making the podcast yourself kind of you've got to set yourself up on a level so that you're on a level playing field with everyone else um, you've got to build that platform for yourself for the most part Luke stressed the importance of, of the running order for the Football Ramble podcast uh, the importance of familiarity for the listeners and, and also never missing never missing a show all of these things are i guess organizing the chaos of what is four men in a room having a conversation yeah and 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 i guess radio you can you can do that relatively easily uh, in comparison to some other media the challenge though of making a conversation between four people not sound chaotic i mean have you have you ever tried doing radio with more than a couple of people in the studio yeah um i used to run the like weekly news show um and that that was always a complete disaster um (laughs) because i I kind of decided to run it as i would tell the stories and then we would have a roundtable discussion with two three four people Mm. um and it was always a complete nightmare to do because you never know what somebody's going to say, which is obviously, that's what you're wanting. You're wanting people's honest opinions. But most of the time, it was like, oh, you can't say that. Or, you know, if people were like diametrically opposed, then somebody would be talking over the other person and not letting them get in any of their points at all. It was honestly a nightmare, and I would hate to have to do that like every day to try and organise that chaos. What's interesting about the Football Ramble and the following the Football Ramble has is that these four men, none of them are, you know, none of them played professional football and and they weren't known particularly as football pundits when the podcast was first kicking off. And yet people have, uh, you know, have a view on what their views are. People care about these four men's opinions on football and and how amused they are by these opinions. Yeah. People are saying that everyone has their opinion on on things in sport, um, and particularly in football, which I agree with to an extent. But in this case, because it's it's an entertainment show, uh, as he says, it's it's an entertainment show rather than like a kind of factually informative uh, show. Obviously, that's part of the football ramble, but it is an entertainment show, so I kind of uh, let it go with that. But as we might get into later, there are other people that try and give their opinions as hard facts that I'd kind of like whoa not not sure I agree with you on this one but fair enough Laura Woods can be heard regularly on TalkSport and seen on Sky Sports. She did her degree in print journalism at Kingston Uni but since then has become very much a sports broadcaster from darts to fishing to NFL to football Laura has covered it all. I asked her what it was about being on the radio that appealed to her I have been in TV for about nine years and I have always been interested in radio and I, for some reason, last year, last, uh, it was it was heading into summer, I just thought, you know what, why not just try and, you know, do anything on the radio, have a crack at it, just see, just see how you get into it and I had a conversation with somebody who's now my agent and um, he was like, look, you just give it a go, go in and see if you can do a demo in a couple of places, so I did. Um, and the difference is huge, really. I mean, it, it's the skill set is 
semi-similar because you're broadcasting and you have to be clear and knowledgeable, et cetera, et cetera. But it's it's a lot more relaxed and you are afforded a lot more time and your tone is different. You can be more conversational. Um, so I find it fun. You know, I, I really enjoy it. And the personalities that come through on radio are usually... They're huge, you know. Mm. These guys, are, especially on Talksport, these guys are on Talksport because they have opinions and they are huge fans of sport. Which is first and foremost, there's no point working in a radio station like Talksport if you're not into sport. So, walking into that, I mean, I did a demo last summer, and um, I remember it's funny because they were really into trying to encourage more women and and to try and find uh, female voices and you know you don't what you don't want as a woman to feel like you're there uh, as tokenism you don't you don't want to feel like you've got the job because you are a female um so when i went into the audition they said right we're going to try you on a couple of different things and one of the first things was um news reading and i am not a reader at all i'm just it sounds funny because i'm a broadcaster but reading is not my strong point at all and actually if i you know, if I went back to my school days and had a test of some kind, I probably would have been bordering on dyslexic or something like that. So it's funny because I've just made a career out of avoiding it at all costs. <laughs> and and I mean, I'm fine with it, but but it's a confidence thing as well. You get used to things like that. Um, mm. But everything else that I did was, I found it really straightforward and I enjoyed it. So I remember um, demoing for the papers. So that's, I still do two mornings of those a week actually with Alan Brazil, but it was uh, just reviewing the papers. So you go in you're super early, you get there at about 5, 5.30, you go through all the back pages and you pick your favourite stories and then you relay them on, on radio. And it's it's about finding the balance of voices in that room. So you've got experts with you. So you want to be informative and you want to tell the the listeners what you're talking about and what the stories are, but you also want to get the best out of both Alan and whoever the guests are. So and and at the same time have a laugh. You know, mm. I, I did the first few and I remember being very cagey and, and quite nervous, but just trying to power through it. And then as soon as you relax, it, it everything flows so much better. And that's something that you can do on radio. You can sit back because it's only one in a way, it's only one medium, it's only your voice. Whereas TV, you're having to engage with your um, with the way that you look as well, the, the look on your face, um, your eyeline is important. If you're addressing the camera, that's important. There's lots of different things to think about. But with radio, it's just it's just you and your voice, and that's what I love about it. There's there's a certain freedom to radio that I haven't experienced anywhere else. That enables you to maximise on your personality um, and in, just enjoy it more. I think. That's really interesting. Uh, just for people that, that say don't listen to talk sport, maybe you mm. could explain some of the the roles uh, yeah, you take on the radio yeah. and the people that you work with as well. You mentioned Alan Brazil, for example. Some people might not know yeah. who he is. So so Alan Brazil is a, a well-known striker in Scottish folklore. He's a, he's a ex-Scotland um, player, also played for a load of different clubs, including Manchester United, actually. Um, and... He is incredibly well known in a certain generation of, of sports fans because he's hosted this. The it's now the Alan Brazil Sports Breakfast Show. He's done that um, for about twenty years, I think, give or take a couple of years there. Um, and he is. When I was growing up, my dad was obsessed with talk sports as soon as it started because it used to just be talk radio. I used to listen to him all the time in the car. So for me, it's quite a funny existence with Alan Brazil because. He is a part of my um, my growing up in a certain way, in the same way that you would associate certain voices with your childhood. He is one of the ones that I associate with mine, which is 
hilarious that now I get to work with him so I've sort of <laughs> grown up and my dad as soon as I got this job at TalkSport he couldn't believe it. he was over the moon <laughs> um so I work with Alan it used to be once a week so it would be one paper review which is about half an hour of the morning and then you're done I got on with everybody and I think they wanted to use me a little bit more so that became two days two days became four days the difference in guest is huge. You know, the, sometimes you'll go in there and it's Mickey Quinn. Sometimes you go in there and it's David Ginola, David Seaman, the big Sam. Sam Allardyce has been in there. Ray Parler. There's there's so many different names. And, and it's so exciting because you're constantly meeting people, different personalities, and, and your skill set changes. Because the way that I would speak to somebody like Ray Parler, for example, is very different to the way that I would speak to big Sam. And what I mean by that is you become more comfortable with people. So I've worked with Ray for, for about a year now, on and off. Mm. Um, and his style is very relaxed and, you know, he's very friendly and open. And and they're all very friendly, but Sam Allardyce, perhaps, you know, he's just newly out of football management. And I remember when everything happened post his England management career, uh, he was back on the radio quite quickly. So there's certain things that I adapt because I want to make sure he knows that I'm completely respectful of him and I'm not trying to catch him out or, or anything like that. I'm I'm just genuinely interested in getting his perspective. So you learn how to deal with different characters, which is a really, really important trait to, to get. Um, and then that translates in anything else that you do, really, whether it's print journalism, whether it's television or any, anything like that. So so then my, my role from breakfast expanded. They then put me on a Friday night, so I was co-hosting with Danny Kelly, um, and he is one of the best broadcasters I think I've ever heard. Mm. Um, and he's got such a vast history in so many different things. So he uh, he used to be the editor of the NME magazine. So his his music knowledge is sensational, and I just sit there listening to him, and I'm I'm always in awe of him. So to be able to sit next to somebody like Danny, whose knowledge of football is paramount as well, it's incredible. I'm just constantly learning from him. I watch the way that he links into things. I watch the way that he relays stories. He's so good at sitting there. We, we have this one, it's called um, the season ticket on Friday night and it's a little bit more lighthearted and we can be a bit more fun with it. But ultimately it's a, a review of the Premier League and, and, and down to uh, the Championship, League One, League Two. But, but obviously, as you would expect, more weighted towards the Premier League and then anything else that we, we think um, we could talk about. So we might touch on a couple of other sports as well. There's a section in it called Culture Club where he... Basically, it, what it is, is it's a crossing over of football into different culture, maybe music, documentaries, and you know anything like that, and how the two influence each other and coexist. So we talk about, the last one I tried to talk about was the ESPN documentary, The Two uh, Escobars, and he was off. So when Danny's off, I host it, which is, a, which is a great opportunity for me to take the leading role. It's difficult, but it's great fun. You essentially just sit there and talk for 10, 15 minutes and you try and tell a story. And that is one skill that I think is hugely underrated, the ability to tell a story, mm. because you're, like I said earlier on, you're afforded that time on radio. Your listeners are silent, unless you're doing a radio show where you where you have a, it's a full-time phone-in or something like that, which is another one I do. I'll tell you about that later. You're afforded time. You have to just sit there with your own voice and try and tell the story with as much clarity as possible, but also hitting all the points and getting all the facts in there. Danny is one of the best in the business. So, you know, the, the my scale, I'm probably at a two and he is at a 20. <laughs> so he's, he's just brilliant to learn from. And then this season, what's quite new is that they've just given me 
uh, match day live on a Saturday. So I have the 5.30 game. So it's all the build up. I'll have a co-host. It's usually Stuart Pierce, And then I'll throw to Sam Atterface and Stuart for the commentary. And then I'll do the full-time phone-in afterwards. That's when viewers get to call up and and, and have their say about anything. And, and we're talking about anything that's happened over the weekend. Anything that day, the day before, or previewing the next day. So that's always on a Saturday at 5 o'clock. Through to the 5.30 game. And then the phone-in is through to 9. And I love it. It's, it's the most fast-paced thing I think I've ever done. Because you're constantly throwing to it. It might be... The, the US Open, quick, let's get an update from there. It might be the cricket from the third test or something like that. It might be um, a championship game that covering. It's everything that you want from radio as a broadcaster in one show. It's, it's amazing. So the roles for me on TalkSport have really changed from a, from a year ago, a season ago, doing a half an hour review of a paper in the morning with Alan Brazil to having my own show on a Saturday. And it's live football as well. Mm-hmm. I think you said earlier on, what you know, what do you want from working in sports radio? And for me, it's it's live football. I don't I don't know anybody that works in sport broadcasting that doesn't want the excitement of live sport. That's why we do it. To have the opportunity to do that on a Saturday is is just it, it sounds cliche, but it is a dream. It really is. Well, I'm, I'm just on this point, this might sound like a really silly question, but I think it's important to ask all the same. Did, <laughs> did you always love sport? And is that important, <laughs> do you think? I think so. I think I grew up with two big brothers and we're all quite close in age, but I'm the youngest. And um, we just, I got stuck into whatever they did. So whatever they were into, we, we used to play rugby together. So I was a gymnast when I was really little, but then... My mum was the single parent, so to to take me off to gymnastics and my brothers off to rugby just became too much for her. So I remember the conversation. She said, do you want to try rugby? And I was like, yeah, why not? I'll try anything sort of thing. So I went and got into rugby and I loved it. And then at school, we'd play football and netball and hockey and all these different things. And it was just something that's always been ingrained in our family as well. We're all quite a sporty family. My dad was a very good cricketer. My brother's a very good footballer, but rugby was the the main sport that I think they were they excelled at. But football was was more of a we watch football, we love football. So it's always been we know my my dad is actually a Newcastle fan, so that side of Newcastle, and my mum's side of Arsenal. So we grew up sporting Arsenal. So I remember when we were younger. I can't remember what the magazine was, but the magazine that used to get the A4 print of. Um, it was almost, it, it was the team photo, but the individual profile shots, you know, the headshots of each play. Mm. And we used to have them up and around our bed, the whole Arsenal team. And um, so it's always been, sport for me has always been there. And it's been something that I've not really known life without. I think I, I don't think you have to necessarily be a tomboy or anything like that to work in sport. It's just what I am. <laughs> yeah. Uh, much to the, much to the despair of my mother, I'm sure. But um I felt quite comfortable in sport. So all those phases, all those phases that you go through as a young woman, sport is something that you sort of escape from all that with. And it's, it's hard to explain that to, to a male audience, but you know, growing up as a woman can be quite complicated, sure. but sport is something that is very, it's black and white, isn't it? And it's, it's, this is how you play it. This is how you do it. Uh, you forget about everything when you're in it. And I think I really enjoyed that. And I did so many different versions of sport that, it was it was always something that I was interested in. And then when I went to university, in my degree, there was no section for sport. I 
felt like I wanted it. So I there was a student union newspaper that I went and spoke to and I said, do you want a sports reporter for anything? And they used to send me out to do rugby match reports. Um, and they were great fun. And they were always wrong. You know, I'd spell somebody's name wrong. I'd get the try scorer wrong or something like that because I'd just be chatting on the sidelines. <laughs> but I loved, I loved being part of the action and I loved watching the games. And for me, it was, it was brilliant. And it was just a, it's just a bit of extra curric- curricular activity that I could do that I still have all the cuttings from actually with all the spelling mistakes. <laughs> well, that's, um, I'm, I'm just to say, Laura, that's, yeah. that it's really interesting because you're, you're talking about this writing experience with the print journalism and obviously yeah. we see you on the television on Sky Sports and, and we're talking about your radio experiences. You've got a lot of different <laughs> sports coverage experience. Yeah. I mean, do, yeah. do you have a favourite out of all these mediums and would you recommend to oh. maybe new people like students that I work with that want to get into sport, would you recommend taking on or gaining all these different experiences it's so hard to say because that's just that's just what I did so the reason I think this has happened for me is because I didn't find it very straightforward I found it really difficult to get into what I'm doing now I got work experience and I would I would say for any student that is paramount I did work experience in print journalism and then I did work experience in broadcast journalism at Sky Sports and I would say what you learn from your degree is very different to what you learn on the job. So work experience is valuable. I can't explain how much because also, you you know, you could study something for three years like I did, do some work experience and actually think, you know what, this isn't really for me. And, and then you do another little bit of work experience and it costs you nothing and you won't get paid anything. But the point is you're embedded in a group of professionals and you're watching what they do every day. And it might be just making teas, but you're taking a tea into an edit suite where they're cutting the opener for super sunday and you're like what what is this what are you doing and it's and it's so interesting you learn everybody's different jobs and that's what i've essentially done from work experience to a runner to all the different facets of production be it editorial assistant um associate producer assistant producer anything like that i know everybody's jobs and i've worked on so many different sports because I was always hungry to get opportunities. So I don't know a sport that I haven't worked on, to be honest. I mean, right down to bowling. <laughs> so <laughs> I've, I've, just, I've just gone and done everything. And what it teaches you is some people will say, spec- be specific. If you love football, don't take your mind off football and go and work on that. And that might work. It depends. It depends what opportunities you're given. If you're given an opportunity in football, then take it. But I remember the reason I got into it is because I asked my producer who I worked with on darts whether I could do something for YouTube and interview players with a spare camera that was there anyway. And he said yes. And then it rolled on from there. And I just kept bugging everybody and asking them for more opportunities and getting a base of work together. It was just YouTube stuff, but it was something tangible. I could say, look at what I can do. Do you see anything in me? What can I work on? Bugging every presenter that I know that I still know to say, can you watch my stuff and give me some tips? Favourites is really hard mm. um, because I, I love darts. I have a real affection for darts and the darting world. I've worked in it for about nine years now. Um, and I love everything about that show. It's a complete, it, it's like nothing you've ever seen before. It's amazing. It's everything rolled into one with that because it's so exciting. Some people will say it's not a sport. I don't really care if you think it's a sport or not. I love it. It's entertainment and if you watch what they're actually doing, the fact that the, the skill level that goes into that for me is completely different to 
you know, that's not a game of chance. We know that. So I love darts. I've got a, a massive affection for that. And they're doing that on TalkSport now. And I've, I never thought it would work. Re- really? I, I was I was about yeah. to ask, can, can yeah. you think of darts on the radio? And it's happening on yeah, TalkSport. Yeah, it's happening. I think they started last year, last December for the world, I think was the first one that they did. And when I wasn't working on the world, so when I was driving to do different interviews for the shows, I was listening on the radio and it was so fabulous. And And it's a prime example of tailoring your skills from one medium to another because I was listening to the same commentators that commentate on Sky and have done for years and when they're not on Sky they're on TalkSport and Nigel Pearson is a is a brilliant one to listen to because he's so descriptive in everything that he does it really works and and it, you know it's it's just I'd, I'd urge you to go and listen to it because it's different and also you know when you're doing radio you can't really pause for breath. There's no chance. You can't take a break while somebody walks up to the hockey because you're assuming they can see it. You have to describe everything they're doing. Are they looking, are they under pressure? Are they enjoying it? Are they looking at each other? Are there any sort of looks as these two players cross each other on the hockey at each other that paint a story? You're, you're completely painting the picture. So I've become a better broadcaster all around because of the work I do in the radio, on the radio. And I think the opportunities that I'm getting in TV and with Sky Sports and at, and at TalkSport are because when you're constantly broadcasting, you're doing something every week, you have to be much more um, decisive with the words that you use and much more descriptive. And I think that you, you, really, you really chisel your skills in radio. TalkSport um, is an example yeah. of a radio station that's obviously actively trying to address address the gender imbalance of its presenting yeah, of teams. Course. There's a number of female presenters that have appeared in the schedule in the last year. Does does it feel to you like sports broadcasting is being more inclusive of women now? 100%, yeah. TalkSport even came out last summer. Uh, I think it wasn't last summer, it was last season. Mid-season, they said, look, this we're, we're making a pledge. We're going to put more women on our airways. And you get a lot of negativity from that because... TalkSport is predominantly 90% male audience. We know that. Mm. That's, you know, you're not going to change that necessarily, but you hope to attract more women because the thing is, there are women that are interested in sport. And I remember reading tweets saying, yeah, we don't just want women there for the sake of it, but they're not there for the sake of it. What, what you have to address is the fact that in the past, they haven't been there at all. And that is where the issue is. And they could have been there then. There's so many brilliant female broadcasts over the years. And there are so many brilliant females that haven't been given the opportunity to broadcast over the years. What they're saying now is we are going to give you the opportunity. So if you're the right person and you're good at your job and you can broadcast, then all right, fine, we'll, we'll throw you in the mix with everybody else. And if you sink, you sink. And if you swim, you swim. You can't just be put on the airways because you're a girl. You're put on the airways because you can handle it. And, and also because you have something to offer. And I think that all they're saying now is, you will be given the opportunities that you want in the past. So for me, that's hugely encouraging. And I feel really lucky, to be honest. I feel lucky that I am here right now and that there are certain things that I can do that women before me couldn't do, weren't given the opportunity to do, because I don't think broadcasting is as easy as somebody saying, I want to be a presenter and then expecting to be given those opportunities for me, what worked was was learning every role in broadcast. What the person is doing on the phones, I know the technicians, and 
I do the same at Sky. I know I know everything that goes into every little detail of, of broadcasting, be it TV or radio, and that makes you a better broadcaster because you know everybody else's limits as well as your own and everybody else's capabilities. So, you know, you, you're not going to be as demanding as saying, I need this immediately. You understand a little bit better that you, people, not everybody can always achieve those things. and You kind of have to work together as a team to to make the best best broadcast that you can. It would be interesting to find out what, what you are listening to at the moment when you do get a spare opportunity. Are <laughs> yeah, there are there yeah. any like presenters, radio stations, programmes or podcasts that you get a chance to listen to that you enjoy? Do you, do you know what I've got quite into? Joey Barton does a podcast mm. and I've got quite into that. I find him fascinating. I think he's incredibly intelligent. I think he's, I don't know if he's still doing it now because he's at Fleetwood, so I'm not sure if he's still doing it, but I've listened to quite a few of his. There was one with Gary Neville that I loved. Gary Neville in general, I listened to his one that he does with Sky Sports as well. He does one after the game with Martin Tyler. And his insight as a analyst and as a pundit is, for me, a different level. It's so it's a different kind of insight that you're going to get from anybody else because he's so good at getting his point across. And he explains why. Not many people explain why, and he does. So even if you're not a player at the highest level, you're understanding what he's talking about because of the way he uh, delivers it. I love the football ramble. It's a little bit more lighthearted, but then they just have this brilliant balance. And I work with Luke Moore now. And that was a dream, actually, because I've listened to the football ramble for years. And now I work with him. So mm. it's hilarious because I've always, I've always thought of those boys as a cut above the rest because their knowledge is brilliant, but they're massive football fans. And it's so clear. It comes across really, really well. They're the relationship that they have with each other is hilarious. You feel like you're just listening into a conversation, you know, down the pub or something. So, but you learn a lot. So Football Ramble, I really like as well. I listen to TalkSport pretty much 24-7 when I'm not on it. <laughs> <laughs> and I would say, I would say that for anybody that wants to get into broadcast, I would say listen to as much radio, listen to as many podcasts as you can because it's it's free, you know. You're, if you're travelling from one place to another it's not going to cost you anything and, and you, you never know what little bits of information go in, just little pieces of insight that make you think of a question differently. So rather than all the basic questions that you feel that you should ask somebody, you might get a little bit of information or you might get a nugget that you're like, oh, that's, that's thrown new light on a subject. Actually, I could, I could adapt my line of questioning. Laura Woods from TalkSport and Sky Sports there. We actually spoke for a whole lot longer than that. Her career journey is a story of hard work and love of sport. At one point, she said that her recent radio work has made her a better broadcaster in every medium. Jack, I know you like radio, but how comfortable are you with a camera on you? Not too bad, actually. Uh, given my course was broadcast journalism, I you know, had the opportunity to sample all the different areas of uh, journalism, so online, uh, TV and radio. Radio was naturally where I felt most comfortable. Mm. I don't mind having a camera on me. Not my favourite thing in the world. I would rather be safe behind well, the the microphone, but yeah. Laura, Laura did say that radio gave her some freedom to relax a little bit. Yeah. So because you don't have the camera on you, you feel like you're able to concentrate more on the opinions you're making rather than where you should be looking. And yeah looking interested as well I, I really struggle whenever there's a camera on me Jack I, I need to remember not to go into bored face I have to like put my kids TV face on yeah. like, enthusiasm and listening I always think as well like um, in the back of my mind if I'm trying to read something there's part of me that's thinking 
your hairs come out of place or you know i don't know maybe one of your eyes has started to close up than the other like if i have a cold like one of my eyes shuts completely which Mm. is weird so i feel like i'm thinking about that kind of thing which might not be noticeable but it takes away from the delivery that i'm doing it means that i'm not going to be reading the best that i can because i'm subconsciously thinking everyone's going to be like look at this ugly so-and-so on the, on the telly. He shouldn't be allowed on telly. One one thing that really struck me in my conversation with Laura is, is how long her days must be. Like, just her Saturdays alone, if she's arriving at a football ground to front some daytime coverage, she, she will have done research beforehand. She'll arrive early at the grounds, part of set-up. She's on air at various points for, throughout the afternoon and into the evening, and and she probably won't get home until goodness knows when and in fact the next day she's probably working for sky sports somewhere are those long days uh, i don't envy that if i'm honest no but i think i mean it clearly shows in everything that laura said that you know you can tell how passionate she is about her craft because if she wasn't she wouldn't be doing those days like if you're doing all of those putting all those hours in then it clearly means something to you and you maybe don't mind those hours so much because you know that you're getting something valuable out of it and you're putting in a great deal of effort and getting a, a really good output out of the hours one one thing that we did speak about and i think it's important to raise this is that talk sport are, are getting more female voices on the air and she says the right voices not just token ones and, yeah and it's important to her that she's not seen as just a token female presenter she's passionate about sport we're both men was it interesting hearing the perspective of laura as a, as a female broadcaster it was absolutely fascinating honestly uh it was the most interested out of no offense to any of the other inter- interviewees but it was the most interested i was because it it's an area that i've not really heard anything about before like obviously you hear about the struggles that female broadcasters have i've never really had it in this much depth and particularly in sport i mean you've got the combination of broadcasting which is predominantly male based and sport which is predominantly male based together and i thought it was really fascinating hearing her views on on how she managed to come up through and the fact that she was saying that it should be more progressive but only for the people that deserve it that you have to earn it which i think is is you know i think she's absolutely spot on there and Mm. uh, she clearly has earned it all all the way and not you know she's not been given any opportunities she's worked hard for those opportunities absolutely uh, and it's 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 a, a additional challenge for laura though, because you know this is not technically radio but her instagram account say the comments she'll post a picture of her like in the radio studio and yeah. all the comments she's getting off from blokes talking about her legs or something yeah. like that and and that must be such a challenge to then focus be professional she's obviously not stupid she's aware that these these comments happen and people are, are talking about that rather than her ability as a broadcaster like other men on the station yeah and, and so i've utmost respect that she's she's doing this and, absolutely and, and being this positive role model because you know i'm, I'm, I'm a man with a, a daughter who i'm trying to get interested in in sport and having a healthy attitude towards it and when she watches sport on the tv and listens to sport on the radio i, I want her to hear female voices talking yeah, absolutely about it. i don't want her to think this is a man thing not at all it's still an uphill climb and i think it probably will be for a long long time unfortunately uh, I think we, uh, most of us at least um, wish that wasn't the case, but I think it probably is going to be an uphill climb for a while longer. 
but I think people like Laura are amazing role models for say your daughter or you know my niece and I think it's 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 a step in the right direction and it's easy for us to be like no we want more now and we do we want more uh, female representation in sports and in broadcasting and in sports broadcasting um, but I think we will get there eventually but it is unfortunately it's going to take a while longer yet. BBC Three Counties Radio sports editor Jeff Doyle spoke to me earlier in the summer to give me a unique local BBC radio perspective on sports radio. I started by asking Jeff what makes sport on the radio work so well. I just think it's the colour, it's it's the excitement, it's capturing the atmosphere. It, it, It brings across so many emotions. You have the highs, you have the lows, you have success, you have... Defeat. Um, it, it, it's almost a theatre, isn't it? it? There's so much to capture, and for us who are privileged to be able to be able to talk about it on the radio and to commentate on what is going on, that's where you're you're trying to get across what's going on to someone who is listening and can't be there. And it's fantastic that you you know you want to explain what is going on, but you also want to bring the emotion, and it's kind of capturing all of that and bringing it all together in a in a, a way that is enjoyable for the listener. So, sport just works so well that when you're listening on the radio, you are just captured by what is going on. Can you just quickly sum up a little bit of the of the sort of sports content that you're you're making here at BBC Three Counties? Uh, yeah, I mean that's kind of twofold because we have a uh, you know Saturday and Tuesday programs where we are specifically all about live sport because we have so many teams in the area, predominantly football. Just because we have Watford in the Premier League, uh, we have uh, Luton and Wickham who are now going to be in League One. We have MK Dons and Stevenage who are going to be in League Two. That's a huge fan base. There is also People who might not support those will be interested in the Premier League naturally. And then uh, as far as rugby is concerned, we have Bedford. So in those programmes on a Saturday and Tuesday, it's very much about those teams. And we're luckily able to bring commentary on uh, on all of our football teams by splitting our frequencies, which I won't bore you about. But we're able to bring, you know, the supporters of those clubs, you know, that commentary. They won't get it anywhere else unless they pay for it online. So that's one aspect of it, which we focus on. And then another way is that we have a Monday night programme where we, we kind of move away a little bit from the football and we sort of bring other sports involved. You know, we do a lot of boxing. We, um, well, any sport, every any sport that there is going on in the three counties, that gives us the chance to sort of get them involved as well. So, uh, and as well as that, obviously, we try and get lots of sports stories onto our uh, output during the breakfast and the uh, drive programmes. Okay, yeah. So, so lots of local content, and and you are interacting with other parts of the the schedule mm. at Free Counties as yeah. well, which which leads me on to this. Really, when you're making sports programs for Free Counties Radio, do you think about the audience that tunes into other programs on the schedule, like Breakfast and Drive Time, or, or are you making those programs primarily for listeners tuning in solely for the sports? Whatever. Who are you addressing? Well, it's interesting that one because with our live broadcasts and particularly the football commentaries we will be bringing an audience who perhaps might not listen to BBC Three Cans Radio at any other time because it's a, that's kind of a core audience it's quite a young audience it's it's an audience that 
perhaps might not be listening to you know the JVS program or the breakfast program, but it, it's important for our figures because we're bringing in a different type of audience. However, you know we don't want to just be an island. We don't just want to be we're sport. We'll see over there, and we don't really care about our other listeners because actually we do which is why programs like Monday Night Sport are key for us because that is a very kind of a a light sports program where I I present it with another person and it's we have a lot of fun there's a lot of jokes there's a lot of chats it's it's I like to think it's a program where a listener who would be listening to one of our other programs Nick Coffer or the you know the, the, the drive time program would enjoy listening to us and we often get that comment from lots of people who say we, we you know we're not that bothered about sport but actually we really quite like that program because it okay it's about a sport but you know we uh, you know we we try and make it really quite light and uh, and entertaining and and i guess whatever program you're making you're always considering your audience and 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 interacting interacting yeah maybe interacting with them mm-hmm. um do you do you have many phone ins do you get to talk to listeners often does that happen yeah 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 so uh, between 5 and 6 on a saturday and after programs on a, and after the the uh, games on a Tuesday night we, we still chat to people on the phone but I mean now it's Twitter and and texting is, is massive for our programs it's a huge part of our Saturday program we, we'll get sometimes hundreds of texts and tweets from people who have been at the game and then want to talk to us so I, I absolutely love that part of the program because we're there telling the people who aren't there what's gone on and so are my other commentators doing that and then afterwards the fans then get to tell us what they think and then they can have their moan and groan or they can praise and grumble whatever and we get to kind of see whether they're kind of agreeing with us or not and you know they can have their opinion we'll obviously in sport is great because everyone's got an opinion it doesn't matter what your opinion is your opinion is as good as my opinion so yeah there is massive interaction and I absolutely love it. How did you end up in the role of of sport editor? for BBC Free Counties Radio. How did that happen? I started at uh, Student University. Um, I went to Oxford Brooks University. It was a combination of Oxford Brooks and in the Oxford University. Uh, it was something that I was interested in. I went down and did some stuff with them. Loved it. Uh, I did some packages on university sport. I kind of I got a job in media working on a, on a magazine for John Lewis. And at the time, I then joined uh, BBC uh, Radio Oxford, uh, as a volunteer so I worked uh, voluntary for two years that was interesting and then during that time I, d- I did a quite a lot of sport and I started you know answering phones and and you know doing a lot of administrative stuff then started to go to games and it's, it came here to BBC Three Counties Radio uh, that was my first job as a journalist then I went to BBC Northampton as sports editor and then I came back here as the sports editor here. There's of- often been a quite a strong sports focus in, in the roles like where possible it's yeah, been yeah. sports led It's always been sport, no I was, uh, it was always going to be sport, um, you know I I love our other programmes here and I'm interested in current affairs and lots of other things and I enjoy listening to music and so I'm a big radio fan but sport is my main passion so it was always going, whether it wasn't radio, I was always likely to have a career in sport. Tell us what you think Jeff are the biggest challenges for the local BBC sports and the radio programmes on sport for BBC Local right now. Is it competition from from online or, or is it something else? Yeah, competition from from online is is big. Social media is big. Lots of people nowadays, and particularly younger people, are 
you know, getting their phones out or their whatever iPads out. And my generation was you listen to the radio or you watch TV to get your information. Now, the generation, um, and I've got kids, they're on their phones and they're tapping away and they're getting bits of information from everywhere. Um, and for sport, that's, you know, that's something that, you know, we have to keep an eye on because people might rather do that to get their info rather than listen to the radio, which is which is obviously something that uh, is a bit concerning. But that's our job then to try and get them to us, to get them to want to listen to the radio. For for BBC Local Radio, we don't have rights for online commentary, which is really big. So people who have got their phones out and who can listen to certain output can't listen to local radio um, commentaries which is certainly well in football that's the case but not with cricket so you can watch you can listen to local radio cricket but that's that's uh, that's a big issue that we're trying to sort out but I'm not sure whether we can because it's it's costly Uh, people might not realize you know we, we have to pay clubs money to to bring the commentary so again budgets are tight we cutbacks are there we're trying to do deals and negotiate with clubs so that's another thing that people not might not realize and it's keeping up audiences when when we are fighting against you know social media and a, and a younger audience who are perhaps not listening to the radio as much as a, an older generation there are sports journalism students and sports fans out there who would love to be making professional sports radio for a living for sure so do you have any top tips for them? You've got to want to really do it because it's a job that is high in demand um, because so many people are interested in it, which is which is good on one side, but on the other side, it means that there's stiff competition. You've got to work really hard. You sometimes just a, you know, I get emails all the time from people, you know, I'm so busy that I might not be able to reply. So sometimes you have to badger away. And if you don't do it, then you're not probably going to miss out. Um, it's, it's, it is difficult. Um, I say to people when they do get in touch, you've got to really want to do this again, because there is that demand, supply and demand. You know, unless you get to the very, very top, the salaries aren't as good as other professions. So if you're happy enough to, you know, for that to be the way forward for you, then fine. But you've got to really like doing it. You've got to be good at it because, again, so many people want to do it, especially now. You see ex-professionals, you know, landing the top jobs because they're names. Um, and, you know, profile is, is huge in this industry. But, you know, you couldn't compare me or somebody like me in my position to somebody like you know a top presenter Gary Lineker for instance because he is Gary Lineker and having said that he's a wonderful broadcaster so you know I'm not you know I don't deny anybody who's good at their job and he is very good at his job so fair play to him but what I would say is if you did want to go for it, then it's a great profession to be in. I mean, I absolutely love it. It's a, it's a great job. I meet people and when I tell them what I do, a lot of the time it's I'd love to do that job. And so I understand that. So, again, that's why earlier I said it's a privilege to do it and I always remember that. Um, Jeff, we, we try and ask all our guests this same question and that is, what are you enjoying listening to at the moment? Are there any presenters or, or radio stations or, or programmes that you're enjoying listening to at the moment? Uh, I, I enjoy a lot. I mean, I'm, I'm critical when I listen to commentaries because I obviously do that or to present sports presenters because that's my job. So I'm, I'm, I'm not critical in a he's rubbish or she's not very good or that. But I, you know, I, I listen and 
see where you know perhaps their strengths and weaknesses are. Um, but you know, I listen to all sorts of radio. Um, Sport-wise, I like Colin Murray. He's he's somebody I admire, um, and Mark Chapman just because they they just give a little bit more than sometimes your average sports presenter. There's a there's a real bubbly confidence that they have, and I like their approach to how they present. Um, and you can really get their you know their identity, and uh, you know that's that, there's something about them that comes out on air, which I really like. Um, but you know. If you take BBC Three Canada Radio, for instance, all our presenters are top, top presenters, um, starting with, you know, Andy in the morning is bubbly and brings things to life. And JVS is just a quality presenter with with what he achieves. And then Nick and Roberto and all the other presenters at the weekends are fantastic. I listen to a lot of music radio, listen to uh, One Extra, BBC Radio One Extra, just like that type of music and Capital One Extra and Kiss. So, uh, you know, I quite like the way they bring their it's a different audience to what we have here. But how they bring the audience with them is quite interesting, how they how they pull it all together. And, you know, you can always listen to other radio stations to see they've got a different listener, but they're still trying to attract that listener. I think they do that well too. Jeff Doyle from BBC Three Counties Radio there. I thought it was really interesting to hear how they incorporate sports coverage into the rest of the station's schedule. He said that many who listen to the sports coverage might not be traditional Three Counties listeners, but then they try to be mindful of the station's audience all the same. So Jack, we're both fans of sport. Do you think that sports radio can be of interest to non-sports fans? Depending on the way it's presented, yes. Mm. Um, But I think you have to have a kind of unique selling point that's going to get people interested. I'm not going to listen to a american football show for example because the sport doesn't interest me no sure. disrespect to it but it doesn't but if they find i don't know how they would find a way to make that interesting for me but i suppose that's their job rather than mine um but what I, if taylor swift for example if taylor swift hosted an <laughs> nfl show i'd listen to it because i'd be like oh wow i didn't expect this person's insight into this but i, w- I would be intrigued quick, to- quick, i should quickly explain jack is a big taylor swift fan and i was aware of this. <laughs> yeah yeah you didn't just strike lucky with taylor swift but, but no that is a perfect if they had somebody or even like chris eubank talking about the nfl or something i'd be like you know of course i'd want to check that out or you know someone that does make things interesting jimmy bullard who you know he's on soccer am and things like that if he had a show like there are certain characters that could make you interested in something Mm. he he talks jeff about how he got into doing this sports radio through his university radio station doing covering uni sports first and it's interesting that that route was taken that's that's quite a traditional way yeah of, of getting into sports broadcasting he says it's always been sport. He loves radio, but it's always been sport for him. Uh, and I guess that only reinforces the, the the view about how people are passionate about sport on the radio. And that that's the only thing he wanted to follow. So there was one thing um, that really caught my attention in this interview. And it had been mentioned in previous interviews as well that, you know, everyone's got an opinion. Uh, but in this one, uh, Jeff said, everyone's got an opinion. Your opinion's as good as mine, which I just totally disagree with um because there are so many podcasts and like radio shows that pop up now about all kinds of things but particularly in sport where there are people that they're not 
really qualified to to talk about sport mm. i'm i'm including myself if i started a, a sports podcast today it would be rubbish because i'm not really qualified to talk about it other than as a fan mm. and and that's okay if you do it as an entertainment show like the football ramble and there are plenty of shows where it is an entertainment show with football in it but if if you're going to be giving your opinions as fact and you know you're saying things about football uh, and you're trying to pass yourself as some kind of expert you know i think that's a real issue um and that's where you get the likes of like goth crooks being a football <laughs> expert like come on there are just some people whose opinions that i'm not saying they're invalid or wrong because apparently you can't have a wrong opinion even though i think you can but th- there are just i think there are so many voices in this field now it's hard to weed out which ones are reputable Mm. and not just i have access to a microphone so i'm going to tell you that nicholas and elka was the worst (laughs) striker to ever live which (laughs) it's it's a really interesting point and i guess it's, it's important that these programs and these podcasts are saying exactly what they're representing so if it is a fan like a for me it'd be a crystal palace fans podcast and yeah. I do listen to the one occasionally that's made by fans of Crystal Palace that write a fanzine and, and therefore you know it's a supporter's opinion of Crystal Palace and then therefore the fact that they are not necessarily experts of football but they are I guess experts on supporting a football team yeah that's that's okay whereas if you get here's Joe Bloggs who, who you don't know from Adam saying his opinion on Crystal Palace Hang on a minute! Like, is is this guy a fan? Is this like someone who's just decided he's an expert on this? That that's that is an interesting area. Yeah, I mean, there's so like I say, there's so many armchair pundits that a lot of times it's hard to know like where where are you getting this? Mm. But because, like I say, I have a massive bias of about my club Leeds. That's why I listen to that podcast because it it's about Leeds. But there are so many people that maybe. The football teams I hate. All my opinions about certain teams are completely invalid because they're blinded by hate. Yeah, so maybe like, a Manchester United, for example. Exactly, like I, like they were who I'm thinking of, but I can't even say their name because I hate them that much, Terry. But that's what I mean. That's I can't pass myself off as someone that has a valid opinion about them or an expertise about them or a knowledge because I won't even say their name, their team name. So I think it's important to understand who people are and what their kind of qualifications, so to speak, of of having their opinions are and also understanding what their biases are. If you want to contact us here at Fantastic Noise, I'm always keen to make this podcast as interactive as possible, so do get in touch. I have received a couple of messages and some feedback, so here are a couple of the mentions. Hello to Leanne, who found the podcast as a result of our visualisation episode. She did some university work on visualised content, so it was of interest to her. It's a growing area for radio, how we visualise audio, so thanks for the support, Leanne. And uh, in a message, Kate asks, Do you think the future is online radio? Which is a a broad question. My answer would be, sort of, yes, but um, maybe not as we know it. I know that Alexa-style devices in cars are likely to be prevalent in the future, and that will be an interesting challenge for radio listening. My car still only has FM, AM, and CD player jack, so traditional radio has some life in it yet. Do, do you think that online radio is the future, Jack? I think it's interesting the point you make about Alexa devices and things like that, because you know that makes it easy to have all of your music or 
podcast listening to it at the you know not even the touch of your hands anymore you can just say it yeah um but i also think that i also think that radio can definitely be included in that Uh, just that's more of a a device but you can still get all of your radio shows on there i know that i listen to um my friend uh jj on capital i only listen to him online i don't listen to him on like traditional radio now so Maybe it is the future because if I do listen to radio, apart from very rare occasions, if I'm at my mum and dad's house where they actually have a radio, because I, I don't own a radio at all. Interesting. Um, so most of my radio listening would come from online. So maybe. If you want to get in touch, be it with stories, suggestions for future podcasts, feedback or something else, here are the contact details. Contact us. Email. Fantastic noise at beds.ac.uk. Facebook. Facebook.com forward slash a fantastic noise. Instagram and Twitter. At a fantastic noise. Fantastic noise. Fantastic noise. If your radio life is making you sick with worry, it's time you heard from the doctor. It's time for Dr. Laurie's radio surgery. I'm Dr. Laurie Hallett, Senior Lecturer in Radio and Journalism at the University of Bedfordshire. If you're already making radio and enjoying it, you might be looking for new experiences to expand your skills base. If so, it's time to step outside your comfort zone by trying new things. Try dealing with topics you're not so familiar with and don't be afraid to experiment with location recordings. Live outside broadcasts can be a really great way to challenge yourself with new experiences and they can be great fun too. That's Dr Laurie Hallett talking about saying yes to new experiences, including trying outside broadcasts. Jack, whilst you were studying here at the university, you were involved in some outside broadcasts. How how did you find them? Yeah, I, I was involved in a lot of outside broadcasts, and they all had uh, unique challenges, let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, I, I remember doing a lot of sports coverage for uh, the university's varsity and, and things of that nature, or open days at... They are really interesting, and I would uh, echo Laurie's statement and say that you should definitely give them a go a few times because they're horrible (laughs) in a way, but you learn from them because there's so much going on and you leave the relative safety and comfort of of the studio um, and go out into the unknown. I I always used to feel like I was... uh, uh, on the F1 track, like shoving my <laughs> microphone in, in people's faces. And you never know what's going to happen, really. And I think that's one of the most interesting parts is it's challenging and it's completely unpredictable. And, you know, you learn from having the unpredictable times and people saying things that you're not expecting them to say and being able to think on your feet. I know my skills definitely improved from doing those uh, outside broadcasts. Before we go, it's time for our regular busting of radio jargon, the Radio Word of the Week. Radio Word of the Week. Fantastic noise! A podcast about making radio. This time it's streaming, a word many associate with a cold, but in radio, when we talk about streaming, we're talking about listening online. Audio streaming is when an audio file can be played back without being completely downloaded first, which is obviously what you need when listening to live radio online. So, Jack, do you use the word streaming? Do I use the word streaming? Um, No, not really. Um, Well, sort of. It's kind of part of 
the general lexicon now. Like, you know, I, I refer to Spotify as my streaming device. Okay. I guess. Well, I, no, I don't really, actually. <laughs> but, like, I would if yeah, someone you... asked me what was your streaming device, I would know what they were talking about. But I don't think I ever used the word streaming yeah. um, in, in day-to-day life. I, I think sometimes... We we have a tendency in the world of radio to use terms which are a bit unnecessary, and, and mm. stum- streaming is a word I've had to explain to people. And I say, "Oh yeah, this is our stream." And they're like, "What are you talking about? A stream? Like what? Like, like, is there a river flowing or something <laughs> like that? What is what's going on?" And, and and it's just another piece of jargon which maybe overcomplicates things. But, but yeah, streaming in terms of online listening, didn't know before. Now now you do. That is it for this episode of Fantastic Noise. Thanks so much for joining us. There will be another episode next week. Do follow us on social media at A Fantastic Noise for updates and previews. Thanks to our guests today, Luke Moore, Laura Woods and Jeff Doyle. Special thanks to my co-host, Jack Stoll. Cheers, Terry. Thanks for having me. Our artwork was produced by Stu Elvin, Stu with a double O. Our announcements were from Freya McCann and our theme music is by Liam Ayton. This podcast was produced by me for the University of Bedfordshire's radio team and recorded in the studios of Radio Lab 97.1 FM. I'm Terry Lee and this, I hope you'll agree, has been a fantastic noise.